series of sermons out of the book of Joshua. And last Sunday I preached from Joshua chapter 3, which describes the people standing on the shores of the flooding Jordan River. And standing on those shores is not for the faint-hearted, really. Um, You'll recall that uh, the river itself was in flood. It's moving like an out-of-controlled freight train. It's picked up a whole lot of debris, dislodged it all on on its journey from Mount Hermon. And it's dropping... Um, many, many kilometres at a very short distance. So the river is pounding along. It wasn't a place for the faint-hearted and uh, any attempt at all to cross it would be certain death. And you remember I said, out of all the periods of time, all the seasons, God actually brings the Israelites to the place to that time when the the Jordan was in flood. Could have brought them any other time when it was a gentle flowing river. But God brings them to a point where their faith and their trust in him is going to be tested and their obedience to him is going to be tried. But they must cross it if they're to receive all that God has for them all the blessings, um, all the promises. They must cross it if they're to inherit all that God has for them. And they must put their fear aside and trust wholeheartedly in God. And God's instruction to Joshua is to have the priests to go before them and carrying the Ark of the Covenant and for them to courageously step into the raging Jordan River. What wonderful faith these priests had. Did they hesitate? I would think so. (laughs) I know I would have. But nevertheless, having faith and trust in God, having seen God at work over the 40 years of their wanderings, seeing his miracles and his power, seeing the way he uh, brought water out of, a, uh, out of a rock for them, met their every need, provision. Remember last week I said not a, their clothes didn't wear out, their sandals didn't wear out. God was with them supernaturally to watch over them and to care for them, protect them and to provide for them. And in Joshua 3 and 15 and 16, we read that the very moment the priest's feet touched the water, the Jordan dried up and the people were able to cross. Two things here. God was not just working upstream in the town of Adam. He was not just working upstream displaying his awesome power. But he was also working upstream and downstream in time. Let me explain. Now, according to the word of God, the Jordan did not dry up ahead of the priests putting their feet into it. 
But as soon as they did, the river, several kilometers upstream, piled up in a heap. At this point, I don't want you to miss the synchronization of God's power and his timing. Coupled with the faith and obedience of Joshua, the priests, and all of God's people. Synchronization of God's power and his timing. Coupled with the people's faith and obedience. About 17 miles north of Jericho, at the site generally thought to have been the town of Adam, is the modern day town of Dominia. There is geological evidence that over recorded history, earthquakes have caused numerous landslides to temporarily dam up the Jordan River at this place. The latest of these was on the 11th of July, 1927, when it was dammed up for 22 hours. The Jordan had stopped flowing. Also in the 14th, 15th, 18th centuries, the same thing happened. In 1958, there was another landslide at this very point which partially dried up the Jordan. Now, before I continue, I want you to know that I absolutely believe the crossing of the Jordan and the destruction of Jericho and the walls of Jericho was an awesome display of God's power. I have no problem in believing that God spoke and the universe was formed. His word tells us that faith convinces us that God created the world through his word. This means that what can be seen was made by something that that could not be seen. By his word... God created the universe. That's what we believe. That's what we understand. The Bible in Psalm 33 says this, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. God breathed out the stars. He spoke the word and the stars were born. The heavens were made. The NLT says it this way, the Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. Now I wonder, how did God dry up the Jordan River? There's no question that God could just speak and it's so it should happen. But I want to put something else to you because as I prepared this, I got another view of our awesome, amazing God. I wonder if God did order for an earthquake that caused the landslide at Adam to pile up the waters. I don't know. But if he did, surely it is no less amazing 
than if he spoke, just spoke the word and it supernaturally happened. I do know this, that in Scripture, God uses earthquakes. In fact, as the age comes to an end, almost everything, all prophetic words are fulfilled by an earthquake, the coming of an earthquake. The Lord speaks and does, but there's an earthquake, mighty earthquakes. All the way through Revelations, you'll read those. In Job 9 and 6, Job also talks about how God reveals his glory and his majesty and his wonder through earthquakes. I'm not saying that God did that in this instance, but I want to put it to you that he may have, and I want to say what an awesome God he is, that he should be moving and working upstream in Adam but downstream through his power and downstream in time because they had to be synchronized. As soon as the feet of the priest went into the water, it dried up. How did it dry up so quickly? Don't forget that that river is going at a tremendous force on a steep radiant gradient. And so therefore, if it's piled up there, it's not long before it's dried out. And so the priests were able to move forward. Now, hold on to all of that. We've got to hold on to it with a whole lot of tension. Because I believe here's a bottom line for you and for me. And it's this, that God applies just the same care and precision by arranging in order the circumstances of your life so that when you come to those critical crossings, those decisive situations, everything unfolds according to his plan. God is working upstream in your life. But he needs me to step out in faith and obedience so that his timing comes to absolute fruition. Working upstream, but working in my life in time so that when, so that when situations arise, his power, his time, my faith and obedience all come together and God brings about his purposes. I want to say what a glorious God, what a wonderful God, what an amazing God we have. And he works that way in your life. You just think about the way in which he has worked in your life over the seasons of your life. There was a time when uh, Robin and I were living in New Zealand. We were, um, we had, and you guys know this, we were owner-operators of a McDonald's restaurant. We're doing extremely well. We're earning a lot of money and we projected to earn even more money. Is McDonald's a, a, a license to print money? Yes, it is, if you do it well. 
And so um, God had been working in our lives, doing a new work of renewing us and refreshing us and, and just pouring his love into our hearts. And then one day I was uh, reading uh, uh, the Bible to a group of young people and the Lord spoke so clearly to me out of that reading. And that when my friend asked me, um, what did God say to you as you read? Because he saw my reaction. I, I said to him, God is sending us home. And I knew that instantly, that God had been preparing our heart for such a time as that. And that meant that we had to get out of McDonald's, which wasn't, wasn't easy at all. But God had so worked in our lives to that point, we knew that it was the right thing to do and with his help and grace we could get there and we did. He works in our lives and I love the thought that God works upstream in our lives. That means that whatever is happening in your life right now is not out of control. That means that God is really at work in your life, bringing about his good purposes and plans. But he is God and I don't know how he does it. In fact, Isaiah says, my, uh, God speaking says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything that you could imagine. If we could know God's methods, if we could know God's ways, I'm sure we would be in awe and wonder of just how God has so ordered our lives to bring us to such critical points in time, while at the same time, he has prepared our hearts to cross over just at the right time. Only the eternal God, all-powerful, unstoppable, invincible God, who stands beyond time, could do that. Only God, who loves you and me unconditionally and desires the best, would do that. Only he could and he does. When we trust in him, and this is the story truly of, of the conquest of Canaan. It was one about trust, one about faith, one about believing in God to, to drive out all of the nations before them. Holding on to the word that was spoken to Moses that God would drive out all the nations, holding on to that, trusting in that word, trusting in the power of God, having faith in the power of God and the grace of God and the love of God and the goodness of God. God gives us, when we trust in him, exactly what we need when we need it. His timing is impeccable. His timing is perfect. When we obey him, we experience him. 
God says this in Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Doesn't God's declaration of his plans for your life carry greater weight than you may have previously thought? I know they do with me. When I just think about the way in which God just brings everything so wonderfully together, surely, church, we can trust him in every situation. Surely, each of us individually can trust him. Now, with the Jordan at their backs, a new challenge of the same magnitude loom before them. How are they to take the impregnable city of Jericho? And in chapter 2, we, we read about Joshua sending out spies to gather intel on, on Jericho. And their presence is discovered, however, a prostitute named Rahab hid them and helped them to escape on the condition that when they took the city, that she and the family would be spared. Let me give you a, a, a quick overview of Joshua chapter 6 because Joshua chapter 6 describes the destruction of Jericho. Jericho's in lockdown for fear of the Israelites. Already the spies have been told by Rahab that the hearts of people have melted. They are so afraid the city's in lockdown. They, uh, the children of Israel crossed the Jordan opposite Jericho. And no doubt, uh, and they've encamped on the plains of Jericho. No doubt, they've seen. Those in Jericho city have seen what has happened. They've seen the Jordan dry up. And they've seen 40,000 strong army march onto the plains. So they lock down the city. No one gets in, no one gets out. And God gives Joshua very specific instructions. The Israelite warriors plus several uh, priests must march around Jericho for six days. The, the priest carrying the shofar, the ram's horn, and they sound the, uh, the, the horn. Now the shofar is a, um, a trumpet and it's used uh, on a number of uh, occasions, the time of Jubilee um, and at the time when the Israelites went into battle. It's a piercing noise and they play it with a staccato, uh, particularly as they enter into war. It's a very loud. And so you get several of these going and the noise is very deafening. So they were to march around Jericho and on the seventh day the warriors 
and the priest and all the people should march around the city seven times. And then they are to make a long blast on the trumpet and all the people to shout and the walls of the city will fall. And Israel then can charge forward. And the Israelites do as God commands and march around Jericho for six days. And on the seventh day before they march, Joshua gives this stirring uh, speech. And he tells them that they cannot harm Rahab or, the, or her family. And so at Joshua's command, the trumpets are blowing and the people raise up a shout and the walls come tumbling down. And once the walls are down, the Israelites charge in and completely destroy Jericho and they bring Rahab and her family out and it's all done in a day's work. Let's have a little bit. The walls of Jericho. Now get a bit of an idea. Down the bottom you see some uh, men just here. There's a wall, another wall, and then a slope up to the second wall. The lower retaining wall, this one down here, is four to five metres high with a two metre high wall, mud high wall on top. The upper wall is 14 metres high and then there's that huge slope. Very, very hard, impregnable actually, to get through, to get over, to get into the, the city. So what caused... These walls, let me just run through a few more. Archaeological digs. This is Jericho and this is uh, an aerial view. I want to tell you something. March around Jericho seven times and then go into battle. You're going to be a tired boy. Obviously, the Lord's with them. If we, when I talk about what, you know, how do the walls come down? If we subscribe to the earthquake theory, then it may have been a huge aftershock following the earthquake that caused the landslide at Adam and dammed up the Jordan. In 1927, when that earthquake hit, and dammed up the Jordan, um, around about 800 people were killed in Jericho. Uh, There's a huge um, earthquake hit and Jericho suffered. Um, if it was, then the nature of the earthquake was unusual if, if it wasn't bizarre. The quake hit in such a way as to allow a portion of the city wall on the north side of the site to remain standing while everywhere else fell. Want to see God at work in this, how precise he is? Rahab's house was located on the north side 
of the city. And her house was miraculously spared while the rest of the city wall fell. This is exactly what archaeologists found. Amazing stuff. Now, oftentimes, this story of, of, of the Jordan River, just like the crossing of the Red Sea, the crossing of the Jordan and the, the destruction of Jericho is a story that we tell our Sunday school kids. And rightly so. And oftentimes when we ourselves read it, we just glance over it and we say, amazing stuff, how powerful and wonderful, awesome God is. But to think about how he may have, how he may have done it is another thing altogether. And you get another view of our awesome and great God who by the power of his word created the universe, the heavens and everything in it. And by the power of his word commands, like in uh, Joshua chapter 10, hailstones to form, fall on uh, Joshua's enemies, who sends lightnings, uh, lightning to confuse the enemy of God's people. We read those sorts of things and we, we just oftentimes just breeze over them without understanding of this awesome God who loves us wonderfully and powerfully and demonstrated that love to us in the Lord Jesus Christ is our God. He's our Father. And He displays that same power and glory and majesty in our own lives. That blows me away. To think that you and I are so deeply loved and valued by him in such a way and all of mankind in such a way. And so the timing of the earthquake and the manner, if that's what happened, in which it selectively took down the city walls suggests something other than a, a chaotic natural calamity, a divine force was at work. God was at work and the power of God is supernatural beyond our comprehension. And Psalm 18 and 13 to 17 says this, the Lord thundered from heaven, the voice of the Most High resounded amid the hail and burning coals. He shot his arrows, lightning and scattered his enemies. His lightning flashed and they were greatly confused. Then at your command, your word, O Lord, at the blast of your breath, the bottom of the sea could be seen. Now we're talking about now, you know, Moses and the crossing of the Red Sea. And the foundations of the earth were laid bare. You know, the, the shallowest point in the Red Sea is something like uh, 350 meters he reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from those who hated me, who were too strong for me. The Lord commanded at the blast of your breath, at your word, Lord, it happened. And so this divine force 
our God at work, all-powerful, and the walls of Jericho fell, and they fell instantly. The walls collapsed by the sheer power of God. Am I contradicting myself? No, I don't think I am. God was at work bringing about his purposes and his plans. And they collapsed in such a way as to spare Rahab and her family. Amazing. Amazing. In Hebrews 11 and 30 to 31 we read, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. What a crazy thing to do. What a crazy thing to do. But isn't that what faith is like? By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. By faith, the walls came down. Now this leads nicely, I guess, into my last point to you and it's about faith's twin, which is obedience in action. And there are two principles found in that verse there, for living the Christian life. And one is that of our faith in God. Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, it's impossible to please God apart from faith. You've got to have faith to, believe, uh, to please God and that he richly rewards those who search and seek for him. And so one is our faith in God. The other is our obedience to his call for action. And this truth is clearly seen in James 2 and verse 7. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Simply put this this way, it takes obedience for faith to work. It takes obedience for faith to work. When we, again, if I can just use something out of uh, our own lives, when we were leaving um, New Zealand, New Zealand, preparing to come back home here to Australia, the Lord gave us a word, a specific word that, we, that came out of the scriptures, came out of our daily readings and it was back into the Old Testament we were reading at that time and the Lord said that no one will be able to stand up to you. In other words, the Lord was going to make a clear way for us. There'd be all the barriers would be removed. And there was a, a, an afternoon where we needed to get to the bank and it was right on closing time. And so um, the traffic was uh, bumper to bumper and uh, Robin was with me in the car and uh, we'd worked out that what we should do is that I would drive up to the bank, she would jump out of the car, run into the bank and say to the bank, right on closing time, I need to withdraw all this money. <laughs> right on closing time. And so she had the hard job. I just had the easy job of going around the, the block. So when I went around the block, I was, I was surprised to see her standing at the curb. So I pulled up and I said, what are you doing here? And she said, they told me, they told me that it's too late. And so I said, do you remember what the Lord said? 
the Lord said he would clear the way. No one would be able to stand up to you. Go in there and get the money. So, she went in with her little withdrawal form and said, I want the money, please. And she got it. What I'm saying is, you you can have faith, but you need to have obedience and action. And if the, God, if the Lord tells you to do something, do it. Don't hold back. Do it. Trust Him. When you trust Him, you experience Him. And who amongst us here today wants to experience more of God in their lives? Amen. Then it's faith. You step out in faith. Not presumptuously. You need to know that this is what the Lord has said to you and you stand on what he has said to you and you step out. And we could tell you some more stories, just as funny, how God cleared a way for us and made a way. I'll tell you one more thing and then we'll just, I'll finish here. Um, When I was reading the scriptures, preparing again to come home. It was like the Holy Spirit and the Word of God were just all over us at that time. And I read out of Isaiah, you'll come out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth before you. There will be shouts of joy and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. And I said that I knew the Lord spoke to me and I said to the Lord, that's crazy. How do trees clap their hands? That's how do trees clap their hands? So the Lord said, you wait and see. So I forgot all about it. Um, And then some months later, a friend of ours who's the the director of World Vision, I, I don't know if he is now still, but director of the World Vision, I was working for World Vision at the time, drove us to the airport. It was a foul day, a typical Auckland day. The wind was blowing, it was raining, it was horrible. And we're driving uh, to Mangaree Airport and we turned off and we went on that road to the airport itself and by, along the, the road were all these trees. And I don't know how this happened, I really don't, but the wind was blowing in such a way that the trees were hitting together. And I said to Robin, have a look at that. And it's like the Lord was celebrating and rejoicing the fact that by faith we had stepped out and we were doing what he wanted us to do. They're little things. Someone might say, that's pure imagination, Graham. One day we'll ask the Lord together about that one. Okay, and then it'll all come clear. So, it takes obedience to faith to work. Only God's power. It's true that the great wall surrounding Jericho could only fall by God's power. Only by his power. However, the children of Israel must participate with him. They must obey his word, which was to march around the city once a day for six days 
on the seventh, they were to march around it seven times with the priests leading and blowing their trumpets. On hearing the sound of that long blast on the trumpet, they were to give a shout. Then God told Joshua the wall of the city would fall. And we know exactly that's what happened. I'm sure you're getting the point that faith requires your obedience, it requires my obedience of what God is asking you to do. Then God, through his power, is able to remove whatever difficulty that may stand in your way of receiving from him all that he has for your life. If you're a young person here this morning, let me tell you, you have such a journey ahead of you. Yeah, there is so much more for you to learn about God, to experience Him in your life. And that goes to the same for us oldies as well. But as a young person, my goodness, let Him be God in your life. Trust Him so that you might experience Him Because that's what he wants. He wants you and I to know him. Not just know about him, but to know him. And Jesus said, is life to know him. Paul in 2 Corinthians and chapter 1 speaks of a time when his life and the lives of those of his evangelistic team was in danger. In fact, he said he was um, in fear of losing his life. But he says this, we put our hope in God, we put our hope in God that he would deliver us. Some of you this morning are facing rivers of impossibilities. You're standing before such difficulties, such hardships and, and, and impossibilities and you're wondering how you're going to get over it. Let me encourage you, based on this word of God, put your trust in God. He's working upstream in your life. He's bringing everything together perfectly for you. Tell yourself this, when you have those uh, impossible situations and you're standing perhaps before it this morning, tell yourself this and tell God this, God I know you're working upstream in my life and there is a time, it's a perfect time, it's the best time, it's the time that you have determined for me. And it's good. And you will get me over. You will get me over to the other side. Or perhaps you're standing before a huge barrier like the walls of Jericho. And you're saying to yourself, how? How will this wall ever 
come down. Who will ever remove this barrier? I've got no strength of myself to do it. Then learn from this word as well. The God that you know and the God that loves you is the God of miracles. He's the God of power. He's the God of glory. He's awesome. And he can bring down by his word that wall, that barrier. He can remove. But it takes faith and trust and dependability upon him and not upon yourself. Believing that he will bring it down. When Rahab spoke to the, pre, uh, to the spies, she said, you know, this is my paraphrase of what she said, you know, everybody's heart here in this city is just melted. Everyone is so afraid. And why wouldn't they be? Because your God is the God of heaven and he's the God of earth. Our God is an awesome God. And he's for you. He's for you. He's for you. And he's for me. Awesome God. Mighty at work in your life. And so, Father, we thank you, praise you, give you honor and glory. Lord, we don't know whether it was an earthquake. We don't know whether it was a mudslide. All we know is that you are awesome and great beyond our words and our imagination, our thoughts. Our thoughts are not your thoughts. And our ways are nowhere near yours. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are your ways and your thoughts above ours. And who can comprehend you? Can some preacher get up here and think he can say it all? And describe you, you're far beyond that. And yet in Jesus, we see you. We see your grace and your love and your mercy and your compassion. We see you as our Savior, our hope, our joy, our peace, our provider, our protector, our Father who art in heaven. There's no one like you. And I pray that this week, Lord, we will carry in our spirit a greater understanding and knowledge of who you are. And that we will walk by faith, trusting in you in every circumstance and situation. And so I pray, Father, for those today who are facing rivers of impossibility and unassailable barriers. And I ask that as they look to you, they may know your deliverance, they may know your provision and your protection And your presence. We give you all the honor and glory. 
In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.